You're listening to A Philosophy of Hope with your host, Kevin. Thank you for tuning in. I'm happy to say tonight we have part two of my conversation with John on his podcast, uh, Wax Museum. And uh, we're talking about empathy again. Leave your comments on our website at aphilosophyofhope.com. You can leave a message. It would mean so much to hear what you have to say. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. So um, we did like the first part to this. We've never done a two-parter, but we did uh, the first part of this um, really to talk about fundamentalism and the fear of empathy. And uh, we didn't feel like we were done, did we? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just one of those topics where, you know, you sleep on it and you realize there's so much more I wanted to say, you know, there's things I'd probably like to correct and, uh, or, you know, I want to make sure they're taken the right way. And I don't, and then the more you talk to people, everyone has an opinion, of course. Of course. So good. All right. So here it is. Fundamentalism and the fear of empathy. Part two. Welcome to the wax you Wax. Live. All right, Kevin, welcome back to the Wax Museum. Yay! <laughs> it's like, what do you say to that? Oh my gosh! Eh? I like Wax Museums. I think me and you decide. I think we 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 figured out we have that come. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So, we got this topic started. <laughs> we were going to continue yeah, it. started. Um, so I think what we really wanted to drive at with this was um, that fear of empathy starts with the fear of suffering. Um, yeah. And I, I've been thinking a lot over the like, past week about how um, in order to have empathy, um, you have to have suffered. And I think that was similar to what you said about Richard Rohr. Mm-hmm. If you haven't suffered, you know, you know, you never know. Right. But yeah. it's like we have we have our um, avoidance techniques. We have our ways of avoiding suffering, <laughs> of lessening the load. Is there a way I can skip this? Yeah. It's, and, it's not natural. To, it's, I don't think it's very natural to say, oh, I'd love to suffer today. No, no. And I mean, and there's, you know, within Christianity, there's so many different ways of looking at suffering because there are some branches of Christianity that are like, yeah, life is hell, but you'll get to heaven. Right? Like, I mean, there are some branches. And then, like, within prosperity streams, it's just like, well, if you've got enough faith, everything's going to be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And it's like, oh, you don't have more. Yeah. And I mean, like... In reality, life is somewhere in between, and using our spirituality to pretend we're not suffering is not healthy, and it makes you less empathetic. If, if, if suffering is 
control being taken from us without our uh, without without our permission, mm-hmm. then um, I don't think that you know, we're not going to look for opportunities to suffer because we never want control taken from us, especially in our culture. And in Christendom, it it you know to be out of control is sinful, so you're not going to find it there. So you have to find it through someone like message of Jesus, if that's how you read it, or through Richard Rohr when he says, you know, to, to not, it's not that you're inviting suffering, but you are just learning to relinquish your control. And as you die, to your, you die to your ego and the person you thought you were supposed to be, then, you know, you're not experiencing the suffering maybe like you were when you were trying to fight it the whole time. I, I know that's oversimplistic, and I'm not trying to make light of legit suffering, but I'm saying there, there is a letting go, you know. Definitely. Definitely. No, yeah. I think like if you have any kind of addictions, um, a great way to learn how to suffer is to like go cold turkey. And you'll, yeah. find, you'll find after like a couple of weeks, all of a sudden you're like, holy man, I am like so emotional. Like what is going oh, on? Lord. And it's like you're not numbing the pain anymore. Um, and mm-hmm. I found that, you know, by fasting from different things, including stuff I shouldn't have done to begin with. Right. Yeah. But, um, and I, I think like, and it's not, it's not that you have to look for opportunities to suffer. It's just, you got to stop looking for opportunities to avoid the suffering and actually yeah. face things <laughs> heads on, head on. Um, yeah. And be honest and be authentic because, you know, for years growing up in the church, I always heard be authentic, be yourself, go against the flow. And right. it's like as, as, as I became an adult and I started to like do those things, I consider myself pretty naive. Like I'm like, oh, okay, that's what you do. Then I realized that's really not what they meant. <laughs> you know, be honest, but don't be that honest. Be authentic, but not that authentic. Hmm. Um, you know, because when you start being that honest with yourself, with others, you start to lose relationships. You start to... Um, start to question things that are taboo and you know, whatever kind of a, it's kind of a rabbit hole. It's been very rare. Like I'm, I try to be pretty authentic. Like I'm a, I'm the kind of person that likes to, uh, I like to go first to make everybody else comfortable. So I'll be in a men's group and I'm like, yeah, I saw some stuff last night. I shouldn't have, you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'll be yeah, the first yeah. to do that. And uh, I remember another guy uh, in in the men's group came up to me and said, you know, John, maybe you shouldn't tell people about that. It might make them uncomfortable. And I kind of oh, looked at no. him. Yeah, and I kind of looked at him like, what? <laughs> like, really? I know. No, it's, it's called being you. brave, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? It's like you go yes. first so other people will feel free to go, right? Um, yeah. So, and, yeah. and, and, and I was taught that within fundamental circles, like, you know, to be honest, to always to, to be brave, to, to step out, say, you know, and be the one that speaks out, Yeah, you know? So, yeah, I know. I feel your pain. <laughs> well, no, it just, it, it made me laugh more than anything else. It didn't really phase me. I'm just weird that way. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't care what you think, man. Anyways. <laughs> um, so, fear... So, yeah, so we got fear of suffering, fear of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, I know this I is think something. Of that, I think of that damn wall that President Trump won't shut up about, you know. Uh, he, he, he built his entire campaign around, along, around this fear 
of the other, fear of what could happen, fear of these people that are coming across the border right. and they're coming for you. And, you know, if you can get people, if you can make people afraid, you can really do a lot of things. You can really manipulate that fear. And, yeah. You know, what's really interesting about that is, like, okay, like my understanding is that, like, Obama and his predecessors, really, including Democrats, were like, let's curb this illegal immigration issue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there was even talk about a, you know, a fence back then. They didn't call it a wall, but it was a fence. But it's like something happened where like Trump took it so far, where he started talking mm-hmm. about how they're criminals, implying you know that they're rapists and stuff like that. Yeah. And and I think he was probably talking about a specific cartel that comes across. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's the coyotes, but there's I think there's actually a cartel that comes across and smuggles drugs and stuff like that. But it's like that has been applied so broadly that his Mm -hmm. wall has become symbolic of racism. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, the left will not support it no matter what. And so it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's not that everyone's against having, you know, borders. And I, I've talked about this before. I'm like, Nobody is for open borders. Like, nobody is saying, just let everybody come in. Like, that doesn't... (laughs) There's, like, I have yet to meet someone who's fully that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but anyways, there is, you know, this kind of demonizing of people and dehumanizing. Yeah. Yeah. Demonizing and dehumanizing. (laughs) There we go. Um, But see, it's not not even even what... I, I read a book years ago, and, and it talked all about how it's not what you communicate as much as how you communicate. You know, and if exactly. he was, if, if he was communicating about this wall in, in in an empathetic way, talking about how we're going to build a wall for security, but at the same time we're going to protect those who are, um, you know, the uh, dreamers and all these people that have already come through. If, if, yeah. If, that would be that 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 would be more of a non-dualistic way of, of approaching the situation. Yeah. And but coming in and start, you know, with the rapist talk and all this crazy stuff and trying to fire up that base. Ah, crazy. Crazy. And yeah. I, you know what? I think that I think that's the manipulation that 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 that's that same that's the manipulation that gets to the fear and it makes people see black and white dualistically and um uh, you know, it doesn't lead to any type of understanding or compromise or it doesn't get us anywhere. I gotta, I gotta say though, like, and I, this is something I really wanted to get to um, in the last episode that I didn't get to, and that's what's great about having a second part, um, <laughs> because we talked a lot about fundamentalism, but it was more like, you know, religious fundamentalism, and we didn't really talk about like kind of progressive fundamentalism, and I think there is the same kind of thing happening where there is zero empathy for anyone that sides with the Republicans. Like, there's not even not even an attempt to understand them. And so as soon as you start painting people um, as racist, as misogynist, as homophobic, that gives you license to have zero empathy for them and not listen to anything they're saying. And so we've yeah. got kind of this battle that's going back and forth, and every time one side does something terrible... They're like, 
see, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then yeah, you defend yeah. it by saying, well, you guys did this. And it's just like so immature yeah. and ridiculous. It's that tribalism, I guess, that uh, the one guy on the literature page was talking about. And, um, it, you know, you know, you need to be more tolerant. Well, you're not being tolerant of my intolerance. I mean, it's oh kind of a silly gosh. game after a while. But, uh, <laughs> yes, being tolerant of intolerance. <laughs> yeah. I, man, I wish I could remember what I said because I actually had a really good argument about it. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it, it fails. Like, it doesn't make sense if I'm for tolerance to be okay with intolerance, Right. It's like yeah. saying if I'm pro-freedom of speech, I should be okay with someone saying that we need to enact a law that infringes on freedom of speech. I should let them talk about infringing on freedom of speech if I'm for freedom of speech. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, there's a way that things kind of get turned on each other. Like, it does. there's just a point, and I think when we look at empathy... It's similar too because we could say I'm pro empathy. Okay, well, are you are you pro empathy for people that don't have empathy for other people? And it's yeah, like, yeah. well, no, I'm kind of intolerant of that. I <laughs> those people piss me off, right? And I wanna yeah. I wanna ostrac- I want those people to be ostracized until they can come back and show some empathy. I don't know, but yeah, it, yeah, like yeah. like there's. I guess there's only so far you could take an idea, right? And I think that was kind of what I wanted to launch into too, was talking about how like, and we'll, we'll get to that in a bit, I think. There, there is somewhere where we have to stop with our empathy. Like we can't always be <laughs> empathetic or we just let anything happen, right? Yeah. I would make a terrible judge because I feel bad for everybody. Like I know, yeah. I know, me too. <laughs> That's probably the... Uh, Enneagram porn, but I guess I don't know. Definitely, but, uh, but I mean, like you look at the situation yeah. and you kind of say, yeah. "Okay, is the most vulnerable person protected?" Yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. we've taken care of that. That's under wraps. Okay, now let's look at the guy that hurt her or him, yeah. right? Yeah. And now yeah. let's have empathy for that person. But it's like you don't want to do that until you've taken care of the most vulnerable. Yeah, you definitely want you definitely want justice, and I almost feel like that's innate inside all of us. But I, you want justice, when, especially when you're done wrong. And um, but at the same time, I don't know if empathy. I don't know if we should look at empathy in terms of um, in terms of what we're seeing as much as how we see the situation, because you know you could do something terribly wrong. You could cross that border illegally, smuggling drugs, or just trying to get away from whatever gang activity or craziness there is down there. You're a mother with a child, and one response would be you broke the law, you know, sending you to jail, or we're kicking you back across there. Or another response would be you broke the law, you have to pay the price for that, you have to do these fees, but we care about you, we care about your children, we're not going to separate you, we're going to keep you together. And we're going to make sure that you pay a fair price. But at the same time, we're going to be empathetic and know that we both are suffering from the human condition. We're both trying to make it through this thing called life. And we both want to be treated fairly. 
you know, and so, uh, you know, the, the whole, the whole, you know, how far do you take empathy is like the whole, how far do you take grace or, you know, all these other concepts you can kind of get lost on and you start to bring up these extreme examples of, you know, of these situations. Um, I think like, you know, loving your neighbor and your, as yourself, you know, you put yourself in a position of somebody who's done something bad. Like I'm thinking mm-hmm. worse than crossing the border. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Committed murder, sir. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to murder. I think that was my example last time too. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to say I love murder. That'd be bad. Um, <laughs> no, but okay. So, so you commit murder and it's like, okay, so if I was somebody who commit murder, what would I want to happen to me? Would I want people to say, hey, it's okay? <laughs> or would I want yeah. consequences? It's like, well, even if it's me, who's the murderer, I think it's mm-hmm. fair to deal a consequence towards me, right? And so yeah. even as, you know, with empathy, you can give people consequences and say, well, yeah, we're going to remove you from society because you're dangerous, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I uh, yeah. I I can't remember where I was hearing this. It was it was on a podcast. I actually was telling someone on Twitter. <laughs> on my podcast, I talk about podcasts. But um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, but it, the guy was saying like forgiveness. He was talking about forgiveness, and he's like, forgiveness is a, like I forgive you, and there's still going to be a lawsuit. <laughs> Yeah. Right, <laughs> which I'm yeah. like, it's it's fair. It's all fair, right? It doesn't mean that there are zero consequences. Forgiveness does not there, mean there are never consequences. No, I, I took a parenting class. Now I have four kids, and the oldest is nine and a half. So uh-huh. I there's still so much I have to learn, and I'm not an expert on anything. But um, part of the parenting class was they said, you know, the the lady's given given the example that her son forgot his cleats at home. And she told him before they left the house, remember your cleats. And he said, okay, whatever. He forgot them. So he got to the practice, and the coach said, you know, Johnny, you can't play soccer because you forgot your cleats, so you have to sit out. And Johnny says, Mom, you did, uh, you know, I forgot my cleats. Why did you let me forget my cleats? She said, I told you. He said, you know, can you go home and get them? She said, no. She said, I, I know I know it's probably very frustrating for getting your cleat. I know, and her point was, I know that you made a bad decision. You're not bad, but you made a bad decision. You didn't exactly. listen. You yeah. know, and so now you're stuck with consequences. And I know that hurts. And I and I've been and I've had to sit on the bench before when I was a kid. And I want to validate what you're feeling. And I want you to know that I I'm I'm suffering alongside you, you know, and that um and I want to see you're treated fairly. But at the same time, there are natural consequences, and nobody can do anything about that mm. until until kingdom come. I mean, I don't know, you know. And so, I think we're all suffering because of what the person did. It's it's how we handle the situation at that point. You know, are we going to put them in a for-profit prison without heat and, um, you know, with 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 living conditions that we wouldn't want to be in, or are we going to? try to put them in a prison where they're, they're treated fairly and they're given opportunities to grow and learn and to make a difference in the life of the prison community. I don't know. That's above my pay grade, but yeah. Uh, you know, but a lot of times situations, I had a friend the other day that said, uh, uh, 
he put it on his Facebook, I shared it on the liturgist page, and he said, sorry, not sorry, I believe in God the Father, Jesus his Son, <laughs> Holy Spirit, abortion is murder, heaven and hell are real and eternal, and I fully support the border wall. And so he puts this on his page, like, and, and we're all scratching our head, like, how did you get from the Nicene Creed to the border wall, for one, and for two, <laughs> like, so where's impressive. this coming from? You know, like... <laughs> But that's kind of like, that's what I would call a non-empathetic response, well, that to a question that, I, that nobody asked, but like, it just it came across as, you know, I believe this, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, kind of. And like Yeah, this, he talked about a wall, too, didn't he? Yeah, I fully support the border wall. You know, I, I, I just thought that was a kicker with all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Conflate religion and, and politics much. <laughs> I know, and I'm like, is there any room for discussion? Do you care about the people that are affected by these things? Or do you just want the world to know where you stand and there's no compromise? That That's a done deal. There, I just dropped a truth bomb. Now I did my job. Because that's, that's what Jesus said is go drop truth bombs. And whatever you well, do, don't let love get in the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but see, love is so... So it makes you so vulnerable, so open. It can change you as much as it, as much as it can change the person that you are showing love towards. And I think that's all kind of works together with empathy. I know Brene Brown talks about vulnerability all the time, and uh, but it's just the power of vulnerability, you know. And yeah. uh, but I don't know. And and like you said, these extreme left and extreme right of the political spectrum don't tend to be too forgiving, you know. The extreme yeah. left. They might want to play this moral card, but at the same time, it's almost like they want this person, you know, to just no longer exist on the face of the earth. Pretty much. And same yeah. with the and same with the extreme right. And so and I don't really have patience for either of that because no. I feel like you have to have forgiveness as long as there's humans involved. You Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All right. So I guess you also listed fear of losing relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Someone yeah. to watch the Super Bowl with. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, well, yeah, the whole idea there is that fear of empathy is the fear of suffering alongside the other. The mm. other being not yourself, being unlike you. Somebody and that might not watch the Super Bowl with you. <laughs> that might not watch the Super Bowl with you. You know, a lot of Canadians are into the Super Bowl, so I was going to say a Canadian like me, because I'm not really a football guy. Hockey is way better, but... Yeah, to each, each his own. What was that? <laughs> well, <laughs> you guys definitely love your hockey, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I um, well, yeah, but the whole idea there is, you know, I had a friend once say I was trying, I was kind of getting in one of these conversations with him about, you know, struggling, you know, faith and and questions and all these things, and he said, yeah, you know, I, there's a lot of things I don't like about church, but you know, I I really like my small group, and if I didn't have them, I don't know who I'd watch the Super Bowl with. And so, <laughs> and so as an Enneagram 4 that, like, demands authenticity out of every situation, I'm like, so, like, being in relationship with people that you're not, you don't really know where they stand or you don't feel authentic, or, or they're being authentic, but yet, like, this superficial Super Bowl, you know? And so, it's hard for my brain to kind of that. And, uh, but, but... But I said that because you know, the fear of empathy is when you start to identify and, and open yourself up to these 
to these other people groups and these other situations than people, especially in tight religious circles, that used to feel comfortable with you suddenly may not feel comfortable with you. And so it yeah, might start true. to cost you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so, for uh, sure. Yeah. It might start to cost you, you know, some relationships and some, once you start to, once you start to question things you've never questioned before, but that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, uh, yeah. Um, I don't, it's interesting to me cause I, I like to kind of, challenge people a little bit but i'm really gentle with it mm-hmm. and so i typically don't really make people uncomfortable i just kind of make them think um, yeah I do that but i have friends that are more like just go hard at questioning people and making them all uncomfortable yeah, yeah. he may or may not be the normal co-host of this podcast who hasn't been on here forever <laughs> <laughs> well i mean yeah, uh, it's not that I want to debate. I just want to know, like, what's going on in your head? Like, do yeah. you have feelings or passion or thoughts or absolutely does it bother you? Am I crazy? Half the time, I just go crazy. You know. <laughs> oh my and, gosh! And that's, yes, and, and that's the whole Bible Belt thing too, because the whole Bible Belt is almost like what you do and how you appear matters more than what you think and who you may be, and mm. so. You know, a joke about the Southerner is that they'll is that they'll say, "Bless your heart to your face," and then behind your back they'll talk shit. So. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's what that's what uh, "bless your heart" means, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't like you. Bless, yeah. bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that is so. so phony. My gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, very different world. Um, yeah, there's not really an expectation to be religious where I live. And so, yeah, it'll come into the conversation sometimes. But I try not to make people too uncomfortable. And I, I don't know, I guess it's a four thing. Like I just, mm-hmm. um, because I'm so, and I, I don't know if everybody knows what Enneagram is, but like fours are very emotional based. Like it's like I am an emotion. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, a lot of it is feeling. Um, and I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to find things that are sad, (laughs) you know, to to understand those things. Right. And so I, I like movies that like, um, like, uh, what 12 years, is it 12 years a slave? That movie was like phenomenal and it was so sad. And I'm like, I like it because it made me sad. And now uh, yeah. I can do something about it, right? Like, I feel like I need sadness so I can use it to do something about whatever issue oh it is, right? And I'm s- slowly learning how to do that with my own sadness instead of avoiding it. And if you aren't feeling, you almost feel like you're not living. It's just on the great. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I went to see Sarah McLaughlin the other night. <laughs> you know her. She's Canadian. Yes, and, yes. Uh, it was, if we show up, to the arena and it was just a grand piano on the stage that was it oh and she man walks out and i said oh my god i'm sitting on the side of the balcony and i'm like i'm gonna jump off because this is gonna be the most depressing night ever uh, <laughs> with piano. but uh really good and she ended I up bet. playing the guitar some she played the electric she played the acoustic she had oh, a nice. celloist that came out and um but it was like a very interesting evening with Sarah McLaughlin. You felt like you really felt connected with her, you know? Yeah. And 
And she talked about, um, and, she, and she hit on some of this stuff, talking about how she liked to write. She was feeling depressed. Yeah. And how, because when she was depressed, she really, really had a lot that, you know, kind of fueled her. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of liken that suffering because I know the life of the artist is there's a degree of suffering and it fuels you. And she yeah. said, but, but I don't have a lot of happy songs because when I'm happy, um, I'm trying to enjoy the moment. And, uh, because I know it's, I know it's not gonna last. I know it's not gonna last forever. I, <laughs> you know, a couple of my favorite worship artists are probably the most depressed people. Um, I yeah. don't know if you know Daniel Bashta. Mm-mm. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a guy that wrote like a lion before Newsboys did it. <laughs> but, oh, uh, nice. But um, he wrote the song, and it's like. My faith is dead. I need a resurrection. Like, just very real kind of lyrics. And it's the same thing, like, John Mark McMillan is also a songwriter that I'm like, man, that guy's been through some stuff. Like, you can just tell. Yeah. And, and yeah. there's just something so much more powerful about it coming from that deep place um, rather than just like, yeah, I've never experienced anything bad in my life. Here's a song. <laughs> yeah. I would add Derek Webb to that. Yeah. Because, yeah. Oh man, I, his, I, yeah. I haven't heard like his newest stuff, but Mockingbird was just such a phenomenal album. Like I loved mm-hmm. what it had to say to the church, um, and talking a lot about capitalism and everything. It was, it was so good. Oh yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Is is you know the the, uh, the question of you know how much empathy is too much empathy, and. And I had the question, I had the, I had the thought come to me the other day, you know, because I, cause that's an important question. But how about, it, what if you ask someone how much, how much money is enough money, or how much profit is enough money, or, or, or how much profit is enough? And most mm. people would say, oh, I mean, I could never have that. Yeah. You know, I, could, <laughs> I would love to win the lottery. I, yeah, I can tell you all these ways I would spend it. And yeah. so our paradigm, our paradigm, on capitalism and on money and greed is we can never have enough of that. But if you ask someone how much empathy should you have, oh well, he sucked it up. He shouldn't have done it. He needs to be, you know, he needs to be taken away. It's over. Yeah. He's not <laughs> a human it, it, anymore. Really, yeah. is what it what it comes to. It's like that person's not a human anymore. I think that's where empathy ends for a lot of people. Is they're just yeah. like, okay, well, not a human anymore. It grades on me when i hear people say illegals they call human yeah. beings illegals it sounds like doesn't sound like a person to me right yeah and i mean yeah. it's the same thing too if you're like say that rapist that's not a human anymore murderer not a human anymore right drug dealer yeah. that's not a human either right like all these like labels that we apply to people based on something they've done when in reality, there's more to the person than the worst thing that they've done. We want to believe that we could never be that person and we would never yeah. do those things. Yeah. And so it's almost like the anger we project towards them is almost towards ourselves in a weird way, you know? Mm. <laughs> and it's almost like, no, I could never do that. I'm, I, I want to believe that so bad. I don't, you know, it's, it's a weird relationship. And, uh, Somehow I feel like that, 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 you know, righteous anger towards that individual that did something so heinous 
somehow inflates people and makes them feel more holy. <laughs> yeah. Self-righteousness rises up, I think. There's a lot of self-righteousness in that. And I kind of like, I'm like, I see someone do something terrible and I'm like, what would it be like if I did that? Like, that looks terrible. Like, what is stopping me from doing that? Right? Like, I do the, I'm do. i mm -hmm. doing the math in my head here and trying to figure mm -hmm. it out and trying to make sense of it. And some of it just doesn't make sense. And I was talking to a friend about it because I just recently heard about another, you know, sexual assault incident. Um, and I was like, what? Like, how does a person do that? And my friend said to me, well those people, a person like that has something turned off, mm. right? Like so, whatever's stopping you from doing it, that person has it turned off and you have it turned on. And I'm like, well, okay, well, <laughs> okay. But like, there's like, I hope it stays on. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, I, I guess what it is, what really gets me about it is like understanding that it's like there is legitimately a person you are hurting in doing this. And I cannot fathom thinking my own desire is more important than this person I'm hurting. Right? Like it's just yeah. that escapes me. Like I that blows my mind that anybody could skip the step of understanding that you're wrecking a life in doing what you're doing. Well, I'm paraphrasing, but Richard Rohr said once that evil always makes perfect sense in the mind of the perpetrator. Yeah. It makes perfect sense in that moment for whatever reason, you know, delusion, you know, psychotic. I don't know what it is. I don't want to know what it is. I know. But it makes <laughs> But I mean, we, we kind of see that in the states. I mean, with the with the whole wall stuff, talk to me long enough, you know, and tell me all the reasons why I should support the wall or why that have you know, you know, this people group not in the states. I mean, you can really create a lot of fear in a person, and so, once you created that fear, you can really manipulate that person. Willful blindness, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah, there's a willful blindness, and I mean, like, it's, I, it's hard for me to not see it as spiritual, and it's just like there's a spiritual wall that's stopping people from seeing these things, because I see all kinds of, like, people posting stuff on Facebook that I'm like, I don't understand, you have no idea who you're hurting with this. If mm -hmm. you did, you wouldn't post this. Right. And it's like, you yeah. look at this and it's just like, I like, how does that escape you? I don't understand. Do, do you remember a couple, a few years ago when the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, there was like, uh -huh. uh, there was like 12 congregants in the basement and the, the yeah. white young guy kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't long after that, that the people from the church came out and said that they forgave him. Yes. Yes. And I thought, do they really forgive him? Are they just saying that? Is it? Do they feel compelled to say that? Mm. But regardless, is that not? Uh, that's pretty amazing. It was amazing. I remember that and thinking that's so incredible that people would come out and say that. You know, and I'm sure I'm sure they still knew that he he needed to pay for his sins, you know, and what Definitely. he had done. And, but they didn't want that. They wanted. And they they didn't want to 
I don't know. I can't imagine. You know? No, <laughs> I can't imagine. I'd be like, I am really pissed off right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. I'm like, you know, give me like, I don't know, three years. Maybe I'll come back and say that I forgive you. I, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I, I need a lot more space to mull it over before I'm prepared to move on. Maybe not three years, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, it's amazing to me that, like, what a day after somebody would be like, yeah, so, yeah. Well, and, and last week you kind of touched on the idea that you never know the propensity that a person has to doing to, to what they've done in their life and who they are. And so um, there, was a, there was a murder locally in the 90s it really kind of shocked our city. And uh, one of the people recently came up for parole. The girl, I think it was a girlfriend of the guy that committed the murder and all these things. And um, the father of the guy that committed the murder was on the stand and um, apparently had sexually abused his son many, many, many times over his childhood. And I just thought, this is just so sad for everybody. Like, there are these situations where no one wins, you know. You yeah. have you have the you had the family that lost a son. You have the family that that lost another son to jail and to prison and to, to this, this this crime, and, and no one wins because we're all affected by the human condition, the selfishness, and and I thought you know he he was just passing along the the evil that he had been given as a child. Yeah, and um, it it just makes you feel bad for, for for really everybody involved. I don't know. I can't imagine being in that situation for anybody that was a part of it, of course. But I just don't. Uh, I, I feel like the Christian response should just be something that says we're all suffering. Because I mean, and once again, Richard Rohr. Sorry to quote him sometimes. He says our first forgiveness has to be towards reality itself. Or being so screwed up, yeah, and <clears throat> just realizing this is life on this planet is going to be this way, yeah, and we're all suffering. <laughs> we're totally, all suffering. totally. And I, I remember I, I went to this men's conference. It was one that really changed my life, really. And uh, this guy was saying, like, you spend all day saying, "Why me?" Why me? Mm-hmm. Everything, some, every time something terrible happens to you. And he basically said that the root of a lot of our emotional issues is having faulty beliefs. And mm-hmm. like, if you believe that everything's supposed to work out perfectly, if you believe that this is supposed to work this way, and that's my day-to-day, like seriously, I'm like, no, uh, my mouse belongs on this side of the table. <laughs> You know, yeah, my yeah. cup holder needs to be empty when I get into my car. Like, there's all these things that I can obsess over, mm-hmm. and it's like you spend all your all your day having all these expectations. You know that these are the things that are supposed to be this way, um, and it's all faulty beliefs because we live in a broken world, and you know, Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trouble." <laughs> it's like, yeah, can yeah. I get an amen on that? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> our uh, our church is actually going through um, 
Sorry. What is it? <laughs> uh, dang, my brain's not working. Um, are they are they changing leadership or? No, 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 no. Sorry. It's it's a book of the Bible. Oh, Ecclesiastes. Oh. <laughs> Ecclesiastes. That's what it is. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's like so depressing, and I love it. Right? <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and it's like it's like the fours book of the Bible. Um, yeah. And uh, anyways, it's just like getting away from that mindset that everything has to be a certain way and saying, you know what? Like, crap happens. Right? Like, it's, it's expected that things are going to go sideways. And, man... Yeah, I've had a rough couple of days, well, and this is kind of preaching to me right now. That you know, it's <laughs> like when you when you lay down those expectations and you say, you know what, things are going to be sideways sometimes, and be okay with yeah. that. Well, we need those reminders because we have such a false sense of security. Um, I live, I live in Hurricane Alley. You know, we get a hurricane right. every maybe two to five years, and some of them turn into tropical storms, some of them go north, some of them go south, sometimes they go past us. Yeah. But the one we got last year, we hadn't had that bad since uh, the late 90s or the mid-90s when I was in high school. And so all we knew was that this Category 4 storm was coming to Wilmington, and we'd never had a Category Well, I guess we'd had a Category 4 like in the 60s, um, but it could strengthen also and we, me and my wife, who was pregnant at the time, took our kids and said, we're out of here. We're going to Georgia, to Atlanta. Right. And, um, and there was so much fear, and, um, and, and it was bad. A lot, you know, a lot of people's homes were ruined. Uh, but, uh, you know, after that, there, there, was this, there, was this, there was this sense in the community of people coming together. And, uh, and once again, Richard Rohr talks about in these times of crises, People come around and there's like a peace, you know, like the days yeah. following 9-11. There's like a peace yep. across across the landscape. Yeah. For one moment, it's, there, there's this oneness that we all share for just a short period of time. Yeah. And we and we realize that nothing really matters besides caring for one another in that moment. You talk to exactly. neighbors. You know, I, I talk to neighbors I never talked to. I um, I interacted and helped people I, I'd never helped. And you don't even think twice about it. It's, it's yeah. this weird. It's this weird window of time, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yep. So, but we have to have those reminders. It's like during the recession, you know. And and now and, and things are going better now, but but things will happen again. It's just part of life. You will have trouble. Well, it's um, relinquishing this illusion of control. Yeah. And I agree. we need crisis sometimes to jolt us into that. And I think that's what's meant by everything working out together for good. But, like, man, people have become so systematic with that. And it's like, you know, oh, this bad thing happened. Oh, God made that happen. So I could learn. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah, even, yeah. don't even try to do the math on that. I mean... Yeah. When it comes down to it, it's like this will work out. I mean, it, and it's funny too. Uh, there's that that worship song. Um, I can't remember what the whole song is, but it's like you work everything together for my good is in the in the bridge. Yeah. And I was like, 
for my good, really? Yeah. Like maybe for our good would be better. Yeah. Like it's like looking at things more collectively, right? Like it's like it's it's not the world is not all about me, right? And yeah. getting away from that mentality. And I think that was kind of like we were talking about last episode about calling. And it's like, oh, I got a big calling on my life. But that mm-hmm. guy that works at the gas station, not yeah. much of a calling <laughs> on that guy's life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that touches on what my, my friend Taylor, uh, who I met on, met on Instagram, and now he's in the literature community. Uh-huh. He, he, he's been... And, and I'm really not educated enough to really speak on this, but he's been he's been sending me these articles about neoliberalism. Yes. And I've kind of gotten my toes in the water, but it's pretty much saying like the, the liberalism that we know for the most part is just the same old capitalistic uh, philosophy. And he says that if you really want to question, you know, these these symptoms of it, you know, wealth inequality, you have to question the deeper issues. And so um, I was thinking about how there's always this structural part of these issues that you have to look at at some point, you know, because like, you know, even if the church becomes LGBT friendly, you know, which a lot of people are pushing for, but they haven't changed maybe some of their core values or they haven't changed uh, you know, have they, they really changed or have they just kind of um, just welcomed a group that, you know, is, is now a new set of tithe payers, you know? I don't know. Well, I, kind of a rabbit hole, but. I think that's one of the things that I'm, I'm looking at just in general in the church, though, is like as this becomes a bigger deal, um, you know, like with the mega churches and everything, it's like we're driven by very different things than we were when we were just like little house churches, right? Like there's so much more at stake. And it's like the, I, I love the big Sunday production. I'm, I'm part of it. I play bass in the band. I love it. It's fun. But part of me is just kind of like, is this all real though? And are we (laughs) channeling our energy into what we really should be channeling our energy into? Right. Because yeah, you know, this big Sunday show is not what it's about, right? Like, it's like, what are we doing in our day-to-day, um, right? To What are we doing in our day-to-day to be all that we can be, right? And pursue this mystery that we call God, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that whole scene has really been a huge distraction to me because I didn't grow up with it. Mm-hmm. And when it, that really became popular in our little town, you know, probably in the early 2000s. And it's like that whole, you know, scene I would go to and I was just overwhelmed, probably because of my personality, but I would just be overwhelmed by everything that was going on. And it seemed, it came across as like this polished experience, but never grappling with any deeper issues. And not, not to say that people don't do that, that are part of that. I'm sure they do, but it was just distracting to me. Like, I don't under, I can't reconcile it in my mind. (laughs) It is. And it is hard for me to reconcile in my mind yet. Right now we're going through Ecclesiastes and it's blowing my mind. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is so good. It's so deep and so depressing. It's perfect. 
you know? Yeah. And it's like, and it's, and it keeps bringing it back to community and how community is really important. Right. It's like, yeah, Yeah. life is hard and we need community. And it's like, oh, this is such good stuff. So it's like, part of me is like, well, I want to be, I want to be cynical about this, but I'm still (laughs) there because I'm, I'm, I'm digging what they're doing. Right. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's incredible, but it's like, I'm kind of, I have a healthy skepticism on things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm just continuously checking it, right? And it's it's like yeah. it's like we were saying I was saying before, it's like it's very broad. The way I'm looking at things is very broad and I'm seeing, you know, like truths in like everything, right? Like I'm seeing bits of truth everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I and when I see bits of truth, I wanna call it out and say, There's some truth right there. Oh, there's some truth right there. And I, yeah. I think that's a lot of what I'm doing, you know, in conversations with people and with podcasts. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was listening to this humanist podcast, and they said this, which I thought was really good. Even yeah. though they're atheists, and how can they know anything, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, it's like yeah. there's, there's so much, there's so many great thinkers out there, and I just love extracting what I can from them. Well, see, that's, that's wisdom. Thank God that you're not you're not so hung up on the labels. I, once again, Richard Rohr. I, yeah. It's not. Don't 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 ask who said it. Ask is it true? You know. Yeah. And so people yeah. get so caught up on these labels. Yes. And uh, and I'm like, hold on, let's just get past the label and talk about the substance of what's being said. And um, I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's I think that's empathy right there. You know. <laughs> Well, and I, I think that that's a huge thing I'm, you know, been thinking about probably over the last couple of years is like just looking at how when you meet anybody, the best thing you can do is find where you have commonalities, you know, yeah. to start with those commonalities and bond over your commonalities. And then it's a safe place for you to start talking about where you diverge. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to explore where you diverge with a lot of curiosity, um, it's such a beautiful thing because you can broaden your understanding of different things. And, you know, you've established that safe place where, you, you know, we, we've all agreed that murder is bad. Yeah, yeah. We didn't like Hitler, you know. But like, you know, we've already established that commonality, and so now when we get into the areas where we disagree, it shouldn't. There shouldn't be animosity. Like, and I. Do you ever feel like? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Do Do you ever feel like in in Christian circles that it's more difficult? Or that it, or that it's just—it's almost like you hit a place and you can kind of see it on their face, like, "Oh, I can't," <laughs> because I just because I feel like some people, like I, I know some friends, like I, I even have friends that are pastors, and they'll say, "You know, I, I agree with you on this. I really like this." They would never say that from the pulpit, but yeah. if I asked them why, they would say, "Church isn't ready yet, but it'll be ready in ten to fifteen years." Hmm. And for my passionate, zealous heart, I say. Well, you might not be here in ten or fifteen years, so why don't we go ahead and start breaking it up now? And and maybe they have more patience than me, and maybe that's wisdom. But I I I get a little frustrated with that process, to be honest, you know, because I know that if there weren't other 
people, and maybe this is just different parts of the body. Maybe if there weren't other people pushing the issue in the past, it, we, it wouldn't even be a conversation, right? Well, uh, I, maybe a good question would be, do you think in progressive circles there's ideas they're not ready for yet? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because it seems to me that what's happening in progressive circles is that there's this rapid change that's happening. And there's kind of this assumption that this change and this evolving is a good thing. And there doesn't seem to be anybody saying, hold on, guys. Like, are we sure about this? Right? Like, yeah. I, And I've said this. I actually posted this on Facebook one day. I'm like, I'm a progressive if progress really means progress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I, I don't think that, I don't think that we change everything, but mm-hmm. like, I also don't think that we hold on to things just because they make us comfortable, right? And it's kind of like, we need to tear down that statue because that guy was a racist and people are like, you can't yeah. tear down that statue. Why not? Right? And yeah. there's like, yeah. well, yeah. we'll forget who he is. It's like, yeah, no, we got books that talk about him. Like, we don't need a yeah. statue to look at every day to remember who that person was like, yeah. And, and so, yeah. So I, I think, I mean, there's a tendency within the church to hold on to these theologies that make us comfortable. But at the same time, if you look at like, you know, the way the, you know, Jewish people would look at scripture and wrestle with it, or even just characters mm-hmm. throughout the Bible and how they wrestled with God and wrestled with scripture. Fundamentalism doesn't really seem to fit that mold, right? Like it's... No, you don't see the wrestling. No. You see, you see, you see the power, the top-down, uh, and I mean power in terms of a power play. Yeah, yeah. And you don't see the wrestling. That's not popular. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, like the the challenging because I know, like for me, I've had a few discussions with people about hell, and I'm like, That's yeah, no, I'm not sure if hell exists, and then people yeah. are like losing their mind over it, and I'm like, no, like what's what's, and I I like the annihilationist argument, like I'm not a fan of like how could a loving God, and I'm gonna build my theology from that because then I'm for <clears> sure. I'm building a God in my own image of what I want him to be. So he's definitely fake. Right. But, um, but I, but I kind of look at this and I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, like what's to say that a soul is eternal, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's not in Christ, like if a, if somebody is a terrible person, they still get an eternal soul just so that they can be tortured for infinity. Like I, I don't, I don't even see, like, scripture that supports that. But then people start getting really angry and saying, well, like, if there's no hell, then why would people be Christians? And I'm like, and yeah. I, actually, I yeah. actually asked that on Facebook one day. I'm like, how bad does the bad news have to be for the good news to be good? Like, to me, when, if, if something yeah. is truly good, do we have to have a terrible alternative to scare us into it? <laughs> Whenever Rob Bell's book came out, that was like such a huge deal around here. You know, like, yeah. you don't believe in hell. Oh, Rob Bell, he's gone. We're, we're done with Rob Bell. John Piper said farewell, Bob, uh, Rob Bell. And I like how it, that rhymes. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but people were so mad at the idea that there would be a hell. I'm like, is this really happening right now? Like, Europe is like, oh, hell no. I haven't lived this Christian life this long and done this much for there not to be a hell. 
Like, that's what I felt like before. It's like, well, you're... Yeah, that's pretty lousy. That really is. And I mean, like, for me... And I'm, I'm not saying... I'm not saying there's definitely no hell. I am not yeah. saying that. I'm just saying, like... I'm just asking questions like Rob Bell, right? Um, yeah. And, like, I... I don't know how this goes back to empathy. But I think... What it is, though, like, I think more than anything, people are taught out of empathy. Like, they're taught, they're educated okay. in such a way so yeah. that that wall is put there. And it's like, okay. I can't have empathy for this person. I can't have empathy for people in this situation. And that's the question. That's where it comes down to, do, do, does empathy stop in evangelical circles where it contradicts with, what is, with how people read the Bible? And I guess that's where it stops because they're, they're told not to listen to their heart, to, to use the word of God. And if that contradicts, that's where, the empathy, that's where the empathy stops. And that's probably an entire other podcast. But I don't know. I guess that's where I kind of, you know, I kind of separate myself because I know the Bible has been used for all sorts of stuff. You know, things yeah. that, we, you, know, you know, slavery and all, all these crazy things. And yeah. so I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, that, I think for a lot of people, that's where stops. Well, and I think that's where like it's. We have emotions for a reason, right? And mm. I'm not saying follow your heart all the time and don't like ignore reason, but yeah. I think like I I was listening to this uh, podcast episode, Jonathan Martin with Rachel Held Evans. Rachel Hell mm-hmm. Evans. Yes, it was Rachel Hell. Anyways, and she had said, like, you know, I remember reading a scripture verse and being like, I don't like how that sounds. I don't like this verse, or I don't like this story, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, part of what shifted for her in reading scripture is that she gave herself permission to say, this doesn't sit right with me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's it. I mean, like, there's so many passages in scripture. Like Job, you look at Job and it's like, well, I'm still, still not happy with that. But I yeah. mean, it's, it illustrates how life works, right? And it's, you know, not all these things are like, well, this is the way it should be. It's just the way it was at that time, right? And it's yeah, like yeah. Um, one of my favorite uh, guys, Sky Jatani, um, one of my favorite theologians, um, he said, the Bible is not an instruction manual. It's a lens through which you can see the world. Mm. And I'm like, that's so much more powerful. And part of what plays into that is us using our emotions and saying, you know what? I'm really sad about that person over there. And I'm not yeah. going to use my Bible to hurt that person. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, like, and it's like, where's your heart at? Like, you, you got to have your heart in the right place. And, I mean, the Bible makes it very clear, love God, love others. And so if you're using the Bible to only love God and not love others, you got a problem. If you're using your Bible to love yeah. others and not love God, you, you're probably not really a Christian, right? Like, yeah. the, and so I, I, I think, you know, and... That's been a struggle for me, honestly, growing up in the church is I just want to love God and not love others. And I've been learning how to love others now. So what's, what, what's the saying? Um, proximity uh, gives uh, perspective. 
And, you know, if, if you grow up in an all-white church and you may, you know, you may have these racist feelings towards toward, uh, people of color because you were never around them. You never had to be faced with them. You never had to hear about their struggles. And so I guess as long as church, the church is going to struggle with empathy with minority groups as long as they continue to push them away because they have no part and they don't have a perspective because they haven't allowed them to, to use their voice to share their story because they've already judged them from afar said, so, you know, so, so I don't know. I don't know. Let's say but, the saying that I found, I, I was listening to a podcast. I didn't even say, I didn't even uh, put down who the quote was from. I thought if I said who the quote was from, people might lose their mind on Facebook. So it was one of those, <laughs> it was one of those controversial people. And yeah. it's, it was a uh, proximity breaks down prejudice, right? Oh yeah. There you go. And so I, I think that actually is a good way to end here. I think, um, it's like, get close. Get close to people. You want to have empathy? Get close to their actual story and stop looking at things from the macro level and start looking granular. Like, get to know people's story. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like how we started this whole series. Um, you were talking about that man that was about to be deported. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's real. Ooh. That's not theoretical. That's real. Yeah, that's very real. And it was right up the road, and it, I don't know why that story hit the way it did. You read so much news, but I knew it was close, and I knew that I knew that if I was in that situation, it, it seemed to me like it was just some silly paperwork, and that he was. And, and if I if I have a butt, my butt is I hate people being treated unfairly for who they are. Yeah, you know. Yep. And it's, it's nothing he had done. It was who he was. Come on, just give him a break. Yeah. Yep. And, and that grace, that empathy was missing. And it was very black and white. It was just like that Facebook post I told you about a while ago. I believe this, that settles it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and yep. I, don't, I, don't, I don't have patience for that. I don't, I don't, if, you know, if I have a voice, I'm going to use it. And I'm going to say, come on, people. Give this guy a break. <laughs> you know? How would you want to be treated? Exactly. All right. So. Kevin, you said to get a hold of you on Facebook, Kevin Millard, yeah. M-I-L-L-A-R-D. Yeah. And what's your Twitter? I'm hardly ever on Twitter. I only use it. Oh, you're not on it? I'm, okay. If, yeah. If I have a question for a company, I tweet it to them, and they always respond. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's a great way to get a hold of company. I get so. quite a few podcast guests on Twitter, too, so yeah. I like it that I'm way. I'm on there, but... It's K Millard, K-M-I-L-L-A-R-D. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, John. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah.
So you do like wedding pictures, right? Wedding pictures. Yeah. So like, what yeah. do you what do you tell people like to say before you take the picture? Oh, um, well, I mean, I I try to get them. I try to sometimes I'll try to get them super serious, uh-huh. and then on, only knowing that they're gonna break. So I'll be like, you know, can you whisper sweet nothings into her ear? And they're like, and he's like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, come on. And he whispers in her ear, and then she dies laughing. And and they're in, and the action is reacting to your photograph. Oh, that so, is smart. That's yeah, like a trade secret. I don't know if you should be sharing that on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, no, what's the author? If you get people moving, I always do this thing called walk and talk. It's like hold hands and walk. People are get so tense in front of the camera. Sometimes. Yeah. So if you keep them moving and lively, and you know, it's good. But uh, it's a good time. That's and stinky awesome. pants. Stinky pants works with every three-year-old on, on the planet. So you just say stinky pants to them. <laughs> you just say stinky pants. That's all it takes. <laughs> well, that would work on me too. You get a great smile. 